So, uh, all four of my grandparents were born in Ireland. Um, two of them, interesting, two of them spoke Gaelic, Irish, fluently. And the other two didn't really at all. I think they maybe they knew the Hail Mary and the Our Father, but that's it. They were not even close to able to converse. Just kind of weird. Um, same country, same time period. Two affluent and two didn't really speak it at all. You know, Ireland's not a very big country. It's about the size of South Carolina. My two grandmothers, one who was fluent and the other one who wasn't, they lived about 70 miles from each other. Like, how could there be such, such a difference in such a small geography where people would know a language and people wouldn't, both from the same country? Um, well, we kind of know what, why that was the case. Um, it was all about British control. The British were able to exert control in certain parts of the country, and in other parts, less so. It's amazing, it seems to me, that what a loss of freedom, what outside control or domination from an outside force, it's incredible what it can do to people. You know, when you censor a country's language, which is what the British tried to do, or when you censor a, a culture or the history of a people, you weaken, you weaken that country. There's a great, great story uh, told about uh, John Paul II. I think I mentioned this before, it's, it's, but it's worth a repeat. Um, 1940, he was 20 years old, he's in Poland. The Nazis are occupying it at this point. This was before he was a priest. He wasn't even in the seminary yet, and he uh, he was an actor. He was part of this acting group. And uh, well, what the Nazis basically said was they outlawed all things Polish, anything involving culture, language, tradition. They wanted to just wipe it out. You crush those things, and eventually you just, people lose their identity. Especially if you take the language away. So, uh, something like this acting group was completely uh, off limits. Forbidden. So what this group of actors did was they went underground with it. And they found uh, these hidden basements and warehouses kind of out of the way in the dark of night and they would put on these performances and they, I guess the would, word would get out to people who were interested and they'd show up. Anyway, there's a, one night they're performing and there's three people on the stage. One is, um, one is the, f the future Pope and uh, in the distance they can hear a siren and they know what it is. It's essentially martial law. So what the Nazis have done is, I guess at a certain time, you gotta be off the streets. And they drive through the city with this siren. So that's getting closer and closer as this performance is, is happening. And uh, 
it got so distracting to the point where two of the three actors just kind of gave up. Like, people weren't even listening to what, the, what was going on on stage. Just the, uh, the actual siren, but probably bigger than that was the, what the siren symbolized, like the, the assault on these people and their culture. So, like I said, two of the three kind of just stopped, stepped away. But the future pope, future saint, they say didn't. Like he continued to speak his lines. In fact, I guess there was a point where there was kind of like a, a speech. And uh, he gives it. And people realize what he's doing. They're not really listening at this point anymore to, to what he's saying. But they know what he's doing. He like he wouldn't be silenced. He's like, I'm not going to let these people steal us, steal our identity. So he continued to kind of rebel against this awful moment. Bottom line is he wouldn't be silenced. Neither would Jesus. And neither should we. If they weren't, we shouldn't. When our truth is censored, when important truths are censored, you just can't be quiet. You know, there's different kinds of censoring, right? I remember my, my father talking about his parents. They were the ones who were fluent in the Irish language. He said when he was a kid, he remembered when they wanted to talk about something that they didn't want the kids to know about, they'd just be Gaelic to each other. You know, my father had no clue what was being said, but he knew it was something that was kind of top secret. I, I even remember as a kid when I was little, like, I guess it was before I could read. If my mother wanted to say something that she didn't want me to know about, she'd spell out the word. And I'd be like, I knew, I knew they were keeping something from me, but they didn't want me to know whatever it was. I certainly remember as a kid... The TV being censored in my house, there were times when it was like, get that off. Turn that trashy show off. What are you listening to this idiot music for with horrible lyrics? I don't want you listening to that. Like, censor. Hey, sometimes I think it's, it's not always involving kids. It could be like, Say you got some, some serious news in the family, scary news, and we're uncertain about where it's going to go and what it means, maybe somebody's health. So everybody immediately says, well, there's this particular person in the family. Don't tell her, at least not now, because she is going to lose it. She won't sleep for the next week if we tell her about it. I mean, eventually we'll probably have to, but like, let's not let her know now. Or maybe it's somebody else in the in the house, and it's it's a you know it's a temper thing. Don't God, don't let him know that this happened, because he will he'll go crazy, he'll blow a gasket. So let's just let's just kind of shield him from whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, I think that's that kind of censoring. I guess is okay. It keeps the peace, keeps kids innocent and maybe safe. But sometimes you just can't tolerate the censor. Sometimes the message and the truth 
it just has to be heard. So it's got to be spoken because it's just too important. I mean, look at this gospel. Look at what happens in this gospel that we just heard. Jesus has come back to his hometown. He's in his synagogue, the synagogue he grew up in. He knows who's there. He probably knew every person sitting in the pews. They were neighbors. They were people he grew up with. He knows their names. He knows what they're like. He knows their personalities. And he knows how they're going to react to his message. He knows they're not going to be, they are not going to be happy, at least with aspects of it. He knows it won't be well received. But it doesn't stop him. He won't be censored. You know, well, we know this, this, this four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Three of them are very related and they're very similar. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They kind of come from uh, the same sources. Uh, a lot of the stories in each of them, are, are they're, they're in all of them. Not always, but very often. Then you got John's Gospel. He's, he's different. He's very uh, different source, uh, much, much more kind of heady, very kind of theological. But these other three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, very similar. Not exact, but the basis of the story is the same. So we just heard Mark's version of this story. Well, Luke's is pretty much it, but there's one more piece to it. So he's pretty much enraged, Jesus, his neighbors. And then it says they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They drove him out of the synagogue because they wouldn't stand for it. And they tried to fling him off a cliff. Like they tried to kill him because he had this truth, this message that they needed to hear and they just wouldn't. Here's the thing about Jesus, I think, that we should sit with and say, take some time with. He didn't live for the approval of others. He didn't need to be liked. Like, I think that's critically important. He didn't need to be liked. I suspect he liked to be liked. I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? You'd be crazy if you didn't want affirmation of others. There'd be something wrong with you if you didn't want, desire the approval of others. But he didn't need it. And he didn't live for it. Do we? Do you? Do I just need to be liked way too much? Do I almost live for the approval of others? Well, that was the, that was the scene in the synagogue a long time ago. Angry mobs, threats, let's fling them off a cliff, let's kill them. It doesn't really look like that today so much, but it's taken on another form, I think. We're not in a synagogue, but how about all over social media? You say something that people don't want to hear, somebody determines is offensive, the mob declares you unfit because what you said is untrue. 
So you're done. You're out. You're finished. You're fired. Your career is over. Because something you said, something you believed in, it's kind of like, it's sort of not, it's not that different from the synagogue. Maybe not throwing you off a cliff, but not a whole lot different. You know, there's a musician. His name is, uh, and a singer, but he's primarily a musician. His name is uh, Winston Marshall. He's part of this group that I really like. Um, they're called Mumford & Sons. Um, they were really big maybe 10 years ago. Still pretty big, but you know, not as, as popular. This member of the band, uh, Winston, just made the news, actually just the other day, about, uh, I guess, three or four months ago, he, he put out a tweet. He had read this book, and it was a book about the radical left in our country, Antifa in particular, uh, sort of this violent, anarchistic, is that a word? You know, group that promotes anarchy, um, communist uh, principles, but most troubling is kind of like the violent nature of, of the, the change that they're demanding. They'll show up and protest and they're always wearing masks. It is not Martin Luther King protests. Anyway, this guy wrote a book. He kind of went undercover and he exposed a lot of what they're about. And it's a big bestseller, the book. Anyway, this guy from Mumford & Sons, Winston Marshall, he read it, and he liked it. And he, and he, and he basically, I think, he, I think it was one sentence, he said uh, he admired this guy's courage for writing the book. And people went crazy. Like, the mob wanted to throw him off a cliff, practically. So he immediately apologized. The way everybody seems to just, it's like as soon as the mob screams, people just start apologizing endlessly, pathetically. But now, about a week ago, he, he made the, the press because he, uh, he said he's quitting the band. Listen to this. As was previously reported, a woke mob tried to cancel Marshall in March after he praised this book. At the time, he apologized and he took time off to, quote, examine his blind spots. But last week, he retracted that statement, that apology, and he announced that he was leaving the group that he helped form in 2007. He said, I could remain and continue to self-censor, but it would erode my sense of integrity. He said, I was talking a lot to my mother and my father, with whom I am very close, and I think who love me and understand me better than anybody, and they could understand the complexity of the situation, and that helped. And, he said, I prayed a lot. My faith has played a big part in this period of my life, and actually, the week before making this decision, I was pretty much planted in my local Catholic church around the corner from where I live. It was a big moment for me. That's probably why after a while that apology was bothering me like it did. I felt like I'd been participating in a lie. I couldn't square those things in my conscience. 
I feel like I got my integrity back and I feel like I got my soul back. And that feels good. So he quit the band, not because he's against, he loves these, his three other bandmates, but he just doesn't want to be this lightning rod. He said, I'm not going to stop saying what I think. So that may impact negatively on the band, so he just decided to step away. He talks about the fear of God, this musician. And I think oftentimes that expression is misunderstood. It's like, it's not like, ooh, I'm scared to death of God, even though it's fear of God. It's more like fear of God means acknowledgement of God, respect for God, putting God first, recognizing and who, who God really is in relation to everything else. Anyway, in this little interview, believe it or not, he quotes uh, Kanye West. Can't believe I'm about to quote Kanye, but it's a simple little statement. Kanye said, fear God and you'll fear nothing. That's pretty good. Fear God and you'll fear nothing. You know, on a, on a day, on an evening when we remember who we are, our identity, our history, our tradition, our culture, our heroes. I mean, think about the great ones. Think about Martin Luther King sitting in the prison saying, well, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop preaching the truth. Throw me in jail? Okay, I wish they didn't. I wish they wouldn't, but it's not going to stop me. Put a bullet in me if they, ha if they choose to, but until they do, I'm not going to stop. Think about Lincoln and his ag agonizing over how to, how to heal a fractured country and how to end an evil within our country. Think of the Founding Fathers. I don't know, what had made them great? Well, they all seemed to be pretty fearless. I wonder why they were fearless. I think it's probably because they feared God. I think it's time to stop apologizing for who we are and what we believe. I think it's time to stop apologizing for speaking the truth. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we think we're speaking the truth and we're wrong. We've got to acknowledge that when we, when we make those mistakes. But if you, if you kind of know you're right, we've got to be like he was in that synagogue. You know what people are going to say. You know what the reaction's going to be because you know the people, you know the culture, you know the people in your life. And the temptation is great to just clam up, to just shut up and keep the peace. Well, Jesus didn't. And if he didn't, I think it's as simple as we shouldn't. So, what's your synagogue scene? You got anything going on in your life these days? A little bit like Jesus had in this gospel. Okay, we're not in a synagogue. But maybe there's people in your life and you know them 
the way he knew his. And you know you got something that needs to be said. And you know he or she is not going to be happy. Like, they're going to want to throw you off a cliff. Because you're going to say something that everybody else has been dodging. You know, it's that person in your family, that person you love who's drinking, is just objectively become out of control. Everybody's talking about it, except to, to each other, except to the, the drinker. And I know when I speak to him or her, it's gonna blow up. And I'm gonna be the villain. I'll probably then be manipulated, because that's what addicted people do. They're masters of addiction, of uh, manipulation. So I'll have to take that hit. I'll have to be willing to be thrown off a cliff. I don't know, or maybe it's, it's just something at home behavioral stuff that's just unacceptable, the way people are being treated, disrespected, spoken to in unacceptable ways. You've known it for years, you've seen it for years. It's fractured the family. But nobody's ever really stood up in the synagogue and called the person out. Because you know what's gonna happen. They're gonna, they're gonna look for a cliff to fling you off. Well, it didn't stop Jesus. So it can't stop us. Fear God, and you'll fear nothing. <laughs>